0: So <coughs> we're still here. It seems. <coughs> Excuse me. After another day of practice. Again, I wish to take this opportunity to offer some reflections and I'd like to speak with regard to some elements of what is involved in the the process of what we could call the opening of our hearts. I think when we come on a retreat like this quite naturally and understandably we engage in meditation or come on a retreat like this we we kind of have this idea of a, a linear movement of like I'm going to start and okay it's difficult and tricky and confusing and painful and all of that but it's going to get easier and get better and I'm going to be able to sort of feel that sense of development and sort of things are going to go in that direction. But it's not necessarily like that. I suspect you've noticed. There are cycles that we go through in practice on a retreat and in our lives and our journeys where at times we might be Experiencing a sense of chaos or confusion or pain, at times a sense of ease or clarity or peace, but not necessarily a sense of a directionality from that, from the first to the second. And more usefully, we could understand it perhaps as a process of opening, going through cycles of encountering places and territories and landscapes within our experience that we have not yet learnt to open to in which we are called on, we are asked by our life in fact not by anyone else called on to open to what is here and it is possible for us this is one of the remarkable things about a human consciousness, a heart and mind like we have it is possible to transform the way we respond to experience the way we Engage with what comes towards us or what arises within us or around us. And in this process we're equally involved in the cultivation of what we could call heartfulness as we are cultivating mindfulness. And we're actually also cultivating what I call, the less common word, but I call bodyfulness equally as mindfulness. There are different dimensions to our experience and we're invited in a way to fill them with our care and our attention that sense of offering that I spoke about yesterday I think and we're sort of seeing what is it to fill the space of my life, my experience what is it to fill that with something wholesome something blessed something sacred maybe or simply just something that seems helpful. And it's very clear, I think, for most of us, that life at times is not easy. Sometimes it's desperately hard. And too, we find this sometimes in meditation. It's not easy. And sometimes it's extremely difficult just to stay on the cushion sometimes in the face of what goes on in our bodies and our minds just to come back one more time to the next step in a walking meditation when everything else says I've had it with this you know sometimes we don't come back it's that hard there's a lovely story that I um, heard from my wife Catherine who's also a teacher here and she said how someone on a a retreat she was on turned up one day and, and said you know I was on your last retreat here and something happened I don't know what but I didn't realise what was happening until I was driving through Plymouth and they left somehow caught in a some get me out of here sort of moment totally unconscious but it's so sort of a, when we think about, oh, I was lost for a few minutes and then I came back. It's, it's another whole scale when, wow, I got so lost I left the retreat and I came back to the next one six months later. But it's the same. Gone and come back. And that expresses you know, one of the primary ways we deal with the fact that things are difficult. Sometimes we flee from what is difficult. Fight and flight, these biological responses that we perhaps are familiar with. We either try and get rid of the thing, fight, or we try and remove ourselves from the situation, flight. So much of where we lose contact with our experience is at pulling away from this because surely something else is going to be better. Escaping, fleeing, it seems. We might not notice that we're fleeing because our attention is on the thing that looks better than this or more entertaining. (coughs) But we also resist. We also (coughs) notice (coughs) how in response to what is not easy for us is a tendency to harden, to tighten, to contract to try and somehow block out the experience. And I think we've talked, I've talked about this a bit already, but that sense of how we encounter tightness and contraction in our body and in our mind, also in our heart. It doesn't always mean that it's because we're resisting, but sometimes that's certainly what's going on. Or we're trying to somehow push away. And it's as if we would choose, or are, without realizing it, choosing to try and not feel our life. Because it perhaps seems to us that it's too difficult to feel a human life fully. And this is because we're incredibly sensitive as human beings. We have this incredibly sensitive Heart, mind, and body can be touched so deeply in so many ways, impacted in so many ways, and it's it's not an easy thing to be sensitive. And this tendency to harden, we see it. We tighten, we feel it. And so much of practice and certain points in the journey for us, certain times in the journey, is just noticing the tendency that we tighten and just think, okay, can I soften? Can I open? It's like the basic biology of survival is contract and tighten in the face of danger. And it really started off a long time ago. We, we don't need to take it too personally. You know. The, as far as we can tell, the earliest forms of life were little single-celled organisms floating around in the great soup of the ocean. As far as we know, it was a long time ago. And single-celled organisms then and now aren't that different. So we kind of know what they were like. They were just little little blobs of juicy stuff with a little thin membrane around them. And the thing is, if you need to get food in, you've got to let your membrane be permeable to take in nourishment. But if you come across some kind of toxic chemical or something that might be poisonous to you, you've got to close up all those little pores and make sure nothing gets in. And this body is about, I don't know, it's hundreds and thousands of those little bags of juicy life doing something like that often unconsciously we tighten to try and protect ourselves. but in doing so we actually stop being available for the nutrition the nourishment that's also available and we have the habit as human beings of carrying the memory which is useful in some ways of the things that were dangerous to us so we can learn but what we also do is we carry the habit and the unconscious, habituated tendency to contract and maintain that contraction even when whatever we were contracting against is no longer there. And so we are asked to explore in the context of meditation what it means to feel. Our life, to allow the sensitivity of this organism, this organ of experience that is touched, that is sensitive, that is affected, but that is also responsive and creative, to allow ourselves to be touched more fully and deeply. Because although there's a certain sense of safety in kind of keeping things at bay, keeping experience somehow at a safe distance there's also a cost, there's a numbness and there's a loss of the the vitality and the, the way in which we're touched by what is beautiful because we're no longer able we can't just switch off our sensitivity to what is difficult if we could it would be great, marvellous, I just won't feel any of the unpleasant things But the only way I could do that is to also not feel anything of what is beautiful. And the cost to us in that is immense. And we see this searching and looking for experience and more and better that I talked about some yesterday in the evening. And it's like, actually, but we don't let it in. So it can't really nourish us. And we think the problem is I don't have enough of those good things. I need more of them. But it's not. It's that we're not necessarily there for what they have to offer us. And so we're practicing being here, coming back, opening again and again and again. And as we do, we might notice, and some of you have mentioned, how in moments, sometimes... Not because I'm having this really great meditation and then suddenly something cosmic and beautiful happens and I'm just wandering around outside wondering what's going on and then suddenly, oh, something touches me. Huh, interesting. How did that happen? Maybe it's a coincidence. Nothing to do with meditation, surely. There's nothing in the instructions about noticing how a drop of dew on a leaf catches the sunlight. And yet when we're here, we're here. For what is here. And there is so much that is beautiful, that, that is touching, that is sweet, that is bright and open, equally as there is so much that is tender and raw and painful and hard to bear in our lives, in our experience. <coughs> And this process of what we're engaged in is really born out of starting to understand that the cost of staying disconnected is greater than what we get from it by way of protection or by way of reduction in what is difficult, because it doesn't actually really completely protect us. I'll say a bit more about that later maybe, but um, we're still even in the tightening or the contracting, or the defensive, protective, armoured sense of how we operate in the world, we're still impacted by those things that are difficult. And the hardness that begins as a protection, and you know, creatures moved on from being little, sort of permeable little bags of juice basically because there's some problems or limitations there, and they grew sort of tougher skins and shells and all of that. And that's. Amazing and remarkable, evolutionary and uh, all of that. We we we, you know, we got clothes and you know I have a really high tech neck, high tech jacket out there that can let water get out but not get in. You know, it's amazing. Well, in theory, that's what it's supposed to do anyway. You know, it's called a shell. Um, But when we harden unconsciously and we're not aware of it and it's the habit to do so is somehow a reflex that's operating whether or not it's actually needed right now. It actually becomes a prison. It becomes something we become entrapped by. Caught in. And the process of freeing ourselves of opening to the wholeness and that means all of what is in our lives is not an easy one for us some years ago I was teaching a retreat at the Insight Meditation Society in Barry, Massachusetts where um, I've been fortunate to be a teacher and connected with that uh, community and uh, organisation for some 25 years now or more actually gosh Um, and it's it was, te- it was in summer, and it was um, a very lovely day. I went decided in, at the lunchtime I'd go for a walk down to the, um, the pond. It was a large pond. Hmm, 20 minutes walk from the retreat. Hmm, 15 minutes walk from the retreat centre. And As I was walking through the woods in the pond, suddenly ahead of me I spied a snake. And I come from New Zealand. We don't have any snakes in New Zealand. Couple of water snakes that occasionally show up on the beach at the top of the North Island, but there's no snakes in New Zealand. So it's fascinating. It's a snake. Wow. It's also scary because it's <laughs> a snake. Help. But the fascination was greater than the fear, and it was a large snake. It's like, whoa. What is that creature? So I slowly moved closer to it, looking for any movement. Not quite sure which way it was heading or facing, but it was its body was across. The path. And at the same time, I was remembering all those stories in the Buddha's teaching about confusing a snake with a rope, and that's really dangerous, or confusing a rope with a snake and you feel really silly, and various other things. And there was this snake. And then as I got closer and closer, I realized well, it was a snake, but it isn't any longer. It's a snake's skin. It was as large. Like, it was like the size of my arm across the across the path. The diameter of my arm. Not. It was longer than that. And I was thinking, wow, a snake had to climb out of its skin. And of course, if we think about this, and probably many of you will be fully aware of how that works, snakes have this remarkable, flexible but really hard, scaly skin, or, or set of scales and skin. And it protects them in so many ways. But by being so protective, it also cannot stretch very far. In order to grow, the snake has to shed its skin. It has to climb out of that protective layer in order to get bigger. If it doesn't, it will die. And every year, it sheds its skin. And of course, when it does that, it can't come out with another fully formed, tough layer of, of armoured skin on because that couldn't be any bigger than the one it was inside, could it? So it's got to come out kind of soft, maybe juicy. I don't know. I've not been there, but I can only imagine it's pretty scary and you wouldn't really wouldn't want an eagle to come past when you're getting out of your skin. And what has this got to do with us? Well, there's a way in which meditation affects us that we may not have quite planned on but as we keep bringing attention into the body into the experience into the present moment as we keep coming into the experience that we've so often stayed away from or kept ourselves somehow distant from through our being lost in mental activity it has a moisturizing effect It's like bringing moisture into something dry and arid and hardened and deadened. And it starts to come to life. We start to feel more. We don't always like that initially. Maybe we don't like that at all. But it's oh, sensitivity. Sensitivity is nourished by the moisture of attention. And we, too, have the layers we need to find our way to release ourselves from the construction of. So we learn to be more closely, more intimately, more ongoingly in contact with our bodily experience which provides a basis for also being in contact with the wholeness of our experience and there's a way in which sometimes you know we're so in our thinking processes at times, it seems remarkable. In a way, we can sort of be amazed and go, wow, would you look at how quick my mind gets busy. The Buddha once said, "I can," and the Buddha was a master of metaphors. He has amazing metaphors for all sorts of things in his teaching, some of which are quite sort of remarkable for Ill- or beautifully illustrating sort of profound and abstract understandings. But he said, I can think of no metaphor for the speed with which a thought appears in the mind. Just boom! It's there end. One could add, you know, perhaps the enthusiasm with which the mind takes hold of the thought and runs with that, and that keeps us distant. It's serving a function. We might think, "I wish this would stop." The number of people who've said to me, "I wish my mind would think less thoughts." If we really weren't wanting those thoughts, they wouldn't be happening so many. So much, but there's something in us that wants them because they're serving something for us they're fulfilling something for us and we're not here to be down on thinking it has its place in fact as one Tibetan teacher said wisdom is just a wandering thought I'm not able to say a thing to you unless I have a thought to go with it or maybe it sometimes might sound like I haven't and it's a bit sort of incomprehensible but In order to be understood, it certainly needs a thinking process to go with it. And so it's more seeing, it's the becoming lost in. And the being lost in isn't an accident. It might not be any more consciously intentional, but it's not an accident. It's part of a process of moving away. And we're invited here to move towards. We don't actually need to move towards. We just need to stop or notice how quickly we move away and begin to disentangle ourselves from that tendency and process. And what that means is we need to attend to our relationships with that which is uncomfortable, with that which is painful or distressing to us, that we find difficult in body, heart and mind because there is so much of that in life. Initially it's hard to be in our body because we don't quite trust that it's okay to be there. It doesn't give us the kind of linear information that reassures our security-seeking minds, our wanting to know how to do it, and that it's all going to work out the way we'd like it to Which, of course, is not for sure. So being in the body, as we start to become more able to be in our body, with our body, we start to relax into that. We find actually it's quite pleasurable. Even though there may be discomfort, there's something about the heart and mind that actually likes to be connected to the body, likes to inhabit the body. There may be moments when you've taken a step or just felt a breath where you were really there. Or maybe it was just picking up a spoon before eating, and you are really there. And there's something about that 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 we recognize that's about a moment in which we're not fragmented. We're not in an oppositional or a controlling relationship with what's happening. We're just there. we also need to see that we don't like what's uncomfortable and what's unpleasant. And mostly we're told that the thing to do is avoid it because it might be harmful to you. And of course there are things which can be harmful. We need to take care. But so much of what we avoid isn't necessarily going to be harmful to us. And it may offer us something Really important. Pain is so often connected with situations or places or circumstances where there is a need for attention, or there is a need for learning. It really has an important place. And Khalil Gibran and the Prophet, he he said. Your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. And just as the stone of a fruit must break so that its heart may stand in the sun, so too must you know pain. And it's not as if we're saying, oh, I'm suggesting here that, you know, pain, the more pain, the better, get some extra pain, it'll help you go on your spiritual path. Not at all. But there's a place for what is difficult in this journey, as there is a place for all things. And I had a really, what for me was quite a powerful and also challenging lesson in relationship to pain. This is actually a range of those lessons I could relate. But the one I'm thinking of is when I was in my um, early years of practice and I was travelling in Asia and I, I went to Calcutta because my grandmother was in Calcutta. She's um, Bengali. I'd never met her. I was in my, in my mid-twenties and I'd never met my grandmother. So um, I went there. And uh, while I was there, I... I spent some time volunteering at a leprosy clinic on there that was working in the streets called um, Calcutta Rescue, which were um, basically providing free medical care to some of the very poor and at times desperately people in desperately difficult circumstances living on the streets of calcutta and Among the things we did, there were people were you know medical skilled medical professionals, not me who was just a sort of a bit of a gopher and a helper. Um, We're we're treating lepers, people with leprosy, people afflicted by this condition. It's always had this sort of, mm, sort of feeling. But there, first of all, these very sweet people coming to get some help. But also, I learnt from one of the medical folk there that leprosy isn't what I thought it was. It does. It's not this disease that makes bits of your body fall off. It's a disease which kills the nerves. And then people cut themselves or burn themselves or get an infection from a, from a sort of a, a splinter and they don't notice. And the tissue becomes infected, gangrenous, rots, is lost. Not because of leprosy initially, but because they couldn't feel the pain. And the thing that would most make a difference to the life of those people was if they could feel pain. In the way that many of us do. And it's like, wow, that's a different relationship to pain, isn't it? And what it says, and this is the key thing here, what pain is saying to us, even though we don't like it, we tend to pull away, we try and avoid it. What it's saying is, pay attention here. And it's really good at saying that to us. Pay attention here. Pain gets our attention so quickly and easily, but we resist giving it the attention because we don't like it. We want it to not be there so easily, so often. And yet if we give attention here, it can be transformative. Giving attention to the pain is the place from which we can determine, oh, is there actually danger? Do I need to do something? Do I need to change my posture? Do I need to go and see a doctor? But until that moment... We're not necessarily in relationship to the actual needs of the situation. We're often in relationship to our history with what is painful or scary, which says, Catastrophe, danger, help, don't go anywhere near, get me out of here. And means we try and close down or avoid those experiences. How much of our life, how many times have we spent our energy and our focus on trying to avoid what we don't want to experience and how to avoid what we fear? How much of our lives have we spent doing that? And how helpful has that been? Mark Twain apparently observed on one occasion, he said, Almost all the worst experiences of my life never actually happened. Maybe we recognise that. It's the anticipation of how bad it will be actually becomes the worst experience. Often when the difficult thing happens, it's difficult, but at least we can deal with it. It's the anticipation of something that hasn't happened. And therefore we can't actually deal with it because it hasn't happened. That so often leads to so much contraction. That tendency to live leaning into the future, trying to anticipate and avoid. And the contraction and the disconnection born of that is profoundly painful in itself. But it's also limiting and deadening of our hearts and of our lives. So one of the things we can do when fear arises is to notice what's happening. Fear tends to tell us a story about the future, about what is going to or might be going to happen. And if we follow the story we get drawn into the future and trying to figure out what to do about this. But fear is also always a story in terms of the psychological manifestation, the physiological is, is another level, but the, the psychological manifestation is its a story that's happening right now. And it, it's about what we think might be or will be going to happen, but it's happening right now, and we come back into the now of it, we find, oh, yeah, my body is activated, it's affected, there's experiences happening here that are probably uncomfortable, And what we think is, oh, this unpleasant feeling called fear, we don't usually reflect on it, but if we did, we'd say, oh, I'm wanting this to go away by trying to get rid of or prevent the possibility of whatever it is that is giving rise, I believe, to this feeling of fear, to remove the feared possibility. But we could, as an alternative, see, could I actually be with the fear could I make space for the fear and in this fear is an illustration of something really difficult almost quintessentially difficult to be with but that we can actually abide with we can make space for because if we can't avoid in those situations what tends to happen is we then start to blame or attack another or ourselves feel like if we can't escape from it then we go into that pushing away and that pushing away involves a hardening and a tightening or a puffing oneself up and all of that again at the deeper level of our experience is really distressing and painful So one of the things we are invited to contemplate here when we encounter this dimension of our experience, and this might arise in the form of some pain in one's body or some illness one is having to work with that has ongoing challenges it presents for us or some circumstance in our life or in the life of someone who we love and are close to that seems deeply painful and distressing. That is really difficult and hard. And that we would so wish this thing, this condition, this circumstance to not be so. And this sense of difficult experiences. It often feels so personal to me. The particulars of your story or experience or situation are particular and perhaps completely unique. But the fact of pain and difficulty and challenge is universal. It's something we all encounter. It's not just you. And whether it's fear or isolation, loneliness or shame, stress, grief, sorrow, frustration, anxiety, despair, Rage, terror, sadness. It's something we share. It's something that's part of life. And the Buddha spoke of this. And for me, it's such an important and powerful teaching. He said, yes, this happens for us all. He said, this body is subject to birth, aging, sickness and death. All of our bodies go through these things. It's not easy to go through these things. In fact, that's the traditional translation of the way he phrased it. I always used to think, the Buddha's really methodical and thinks things through. He wouldn't have said aging, sickness and death because sickness happens before aging. I, I I got sick well before I was aging. I got flu when I was a kid once doesn't make sense and then i read another translation it's like birth listen for this one birth aging decay and death and it's like ah gotcha sickness you can get better from that's still tough but it's not decay decay is that kind of things stop working and they ain't going to get better anymore things you know fall out tooth or other bits It's like, oh, decay, whoa. Yeah, this is going to be tough. And we all go through it. The Buddha spoke of our hearts being subject to sorrow, pain, grief, lamentation, and despair. doesn't sound good for an advertisement for a meditation retreat, does it? Come along. You know, the meals are good, but there's going to be pain, grief, sorrow, lamentation, and despair. We don't put that on the flyers. But it's true, isn't it? We recognize it. We don't talk about it. And in our world, there's often this image or this sort of story that's presented that says, you know, if you do it right, if you get it right, you can avoid all of that. And we have this subtle sense often of shame. If I haven't done it right, which, because I'm obviously I'm getting pain and grief and confusion and sorrow and anger, I've obviously messed it up. It must be my fault. And so we don't talk about it, because everyone else appears to be fine. And their Instagram feed looks full of amazing happy things. Or so I've heard about Instagram feeds. And it's like, oh, yeah, we don't talk about it so much. But if we do, we start to hear. And I do with people, and I hear and that, oh, yeah, you too. Maybe really different than mine, but I have mine and you have yours. And I think this is true for everyone. Certainly, the Buddha's teaching was that. And. <coughs> In a way, I could illustrate why it's inevitable, unstoppably so. I find this a helpful illustration. If in this life you love something or someone, you will at some point be parted from them, or this thing, because of accident, intentional choice, death. You will be parted from something. If you love someone or something, at some point you will be parted from this And that will be painful. That will be grievous. That will be terribly difficult. And if in this life you don't love something or someone that will be terribly painful and difficult. I don't see a third option. I've invited many groups of people to let me know if they have one. But I don't think there's one there. And it's like just from that we get it, oh, maybe we get it, oh, oh yeah, this is in the package, it's not avoidable. And the endeavour to avoid it doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean that we don't take care with what we can of sensitivity, of protection, of healing, of care around all the territories that such difficult things can arise in, absolutely. But we understand that it cannot be avoided and that it's not your fault. A certain measure of this is in your life. Perhaps an unfair measure of this is in your life. But it's in everybody's life. And nobody feels, even the littlest bit of it feels fair. Because it's not like we deserve it. And yet here it is. When we see that it's not something that we've done wrong, that it's not personal, although the particulars of it may be, and sometimes excruciatingly so for us. But that is something that when we talk about it we see because we have this subtle social shaming of of what is difficult in our lives, and we kind of hide it up hide it away a little bit even though we're totally captivated by hearing about it where it goes on with others. Because of that, we kind of maintain this sense of maybe you can get away with it without that. When we actually open up and speak, we see, oh, this is shared. Rather than our pain and difficulty and struggle being something that separates or isolates it, oh, I shouldn't talk about it, it'll trouble other people. Well, it might if they're trying to pretend that that sort of stuff doesn't happen, but if they're actually trying to own and acknowledge and see their own, then actually it's support to hear from others. And pain and difficulty and struggle and distress, rather than being something which divides and disconnects us, it becomes something which weaves us together, which connects us and holds us. You know when they say a trouble shared is a trouble halved or a worry shared is a worried half. It's like, oh yeah, when we share it, it's not weighing on me because we see oh yeah, it's, it's part of how it is. It's the nature of our life. It includes this. Not just this, of course, there's a lot more to it. But what that means is that as we turn to our experience, we're invited to say, can I make room for this? Can I even maybe welcome it? don't have to like it to welcome it, but just even just, it's like neighbours, you know, you don't have to like neighbours, but you've got to get on with them, because you're going to have neighbours, unless you own the whole planet, and then you're going to have other problems, I assure you, but basically we have neighbours, or you're re- even if you're renting the whole planet, you know, it doesn't work, does it? You're going to have neighbours. We're going to bump up against people, And we've got to get on with them. We're going to bump up against experiences. We've got to handle them. There's no way out of that. And so what often it needs is kindness and patience and care. That doesn't make the experience easy. But the peace we can hold is our own resistance to or our sense of somehow not okayness because of this. That is not obligatory. And when the, B, when the Buddha talked about and, and, and said, and I remember first hearing him say, oh, there is this, that he used the word dukkha. And we have often had translated as suffering. But the phrase I like most from one of my teachers is, that which is hard to bear. oh yeah there are things which are hard to bear we all have them can I turn towards these can I open to these can I allow these to touch me and sometimes we need to ask where do I feel in my body what's going on with this difficult experience do I feel aggrieved or distressed Or just profoundly saddened, or helpless, or angry. Where do I feel in my body? Can I give it some space? Can I feel what it's like? And I can give it, can I back off if I need to? Or can I come closer if it feels okay? Just to get to know it. Just to not be cut off from it. Not to fix it or to get rid of it. Interestingly, as Ramdas said, you can't be with something in order to make it go away. Because it knows. We think of it as it, but it's, it's not separate from us. And if we're there trying to be with it so it'll go away, actually that's just a version in a more sophisticated spiritual packaging. It's just another way. So when we're meditating, and oh, oh I did that, that got, got rid of that uncomfortable thing, I'll do it again. Maybe why it got rid of it, or why it changed, was because we actually opened to it. Who knows? But just to notice that tendency, that habit. As we learn to be the permeable, sensitive, tender human beings that we are, affected in so many ways, as is inevitable in our lives. And to see that that tenderness and sensitivity does not mean in itself that I cannot be present and connected. The deeper loss born of what is difficult is not the difficult, but the habitual tendency to disconnect because of it being difficult. It's the disconnectedness that is the deeper suffering of the human heart and the human life. And we're practicing here reconnecting, coming back into contact with that, which is not easy. Whether it be a, a sharp twinge in my knee, whether it be a deep ache in my heart, or whether it be a, a stressful confusion in my head, all of these things unpleasant. And I learn to meet them. Because in themselves, they do not have the capacity to disconnect us from our life unless we, in seeking to avoid them, do so. And again, so often this is done unconsciously and we're not even aware we're doing it. So it's not to judge that, but to notice it if it's happening and to see what else might be possible here. Wendell Berry writes in one poem, he says, I go among trees and sit still. All my tasks lie around me, asleep like cattle. My stirring becomes quiet, like circles on water. Then what I am afraid of comes I live for a while in its sight then what I fear in it leaves it and the fear of it leaves me it sings and I hear its song So we're practicing, just sitting amongst trees and people, putting down our tasks and our busyness, allowing our stirring to slowly become quiet. And sometimes what comes is what is challenging to us. Can we turn towards with care and respect and sensitivity? Can we allow our hearts to be open to these places that we maybe have not been able to before and the training of the meditation gives us resources for meeting for handling for gathering and connecting again in this way and we start to see that it, the nature of experience is fluid it's moving it's changing it's the nature of it all things that come also leave, that arise, also pass. Maybe they return, but slightly different every time. And they get stuck because we resist them. We say, no, no, no. Our nature is permeable, however. We don't resist them in a way that they don't get in. It's like they get in, and then we resist them, and then they get stuck in here. It's like opening our heart isn't about necessarily opening the front door cuz the front door is always open sensitivity doesn't go away but it's almost like opening the back door to allow them to pass through to say oh yeah whoa ah, ha yeah whoo all right that wasn't easy but i'm not going to try and stop it happening to inhabit our life in the spirit of unconditional willingness to see what's possible. It's not always possible, but to see what's possible. To allow, so far as we can, our life to pass through this field of sensitivity that we are. This is... To begin to know what it is to be at peace with life. And to abide with an open heart where we are no longer subject to the threat that something will force me to close or disconnect. That nothing can ultimately take us away from what is possible for us. To be here, to be open, to allow life to move through. And as we do this, the very sense we have of being separate from it slowly begins to break down. We might imagine we're the owner of this life or these experiences or that they're happening to me. And to be clear, they're not happening to somebody else. They're definitely happening here. How it is is slightly different than the way we generally conceive it. This life is unfolding and we are not separate from it. These experiences emerging do not define us, do not bind us, but nor are they somehow apart from us. And we from them. And we are not separate from all that is around us. Because we are affected by it. And we are affecting it ongoingly, moment by moment. So what might it be to trust that we have what we need here to open to this life? To receive it in its sweetness and its tender, raw painfulness. In its beauty and its sorrow, seeing that of course only those things that we love and care about most deeply are the sources of our greatest pain. They go together. Our heart and its openness with what we in connection to what we love. It feels so sweet in separation from apartness or distant from what we love it feels so painful. And what we love might also be the well-being or situation of another that we care for and when that's not their situation, so painful, but only in proportion to how deeply we care for them or ourselves when our situation is difficult. The tenderness of that loving and the Tenderness of those painful experiences and situations are together and cannot be separated and as we begin to open in this way we start to feel the sharedness of this situation more fully More deeply we begin to open to the vastness of this life that we are participants part of immersed in and inseparable from despite at times our best efforts to extract ourselves we cannot any more than a fish could swim out of the ocean And so this journey of awakening and this journey of opening our hearts, allowing ourselves to be tender and to be touched, is something blessed and beautiful, equally as it is challenging. And it's good to allow it to find its own way. It's an organic journey, ultimately not something we can force or rush but in our willingness and the incredibly beautiful willingness we show just to turn up just to be here for another moment for another step for another breath for another trembling twinge of something tender each of those moments each of those willingnesses, is immensely significant So let's sit together for a few moments in the quiet. David White says, Enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here, opening to the life we have refused again and again until now. May we all in our practice here and in our lives know the opening. Of our hearts to the fullness of all of life. For our own well being, for the welfare of all beings, and the well being of all that lives. Thank you <coughs> thank you again for your practice for your presence and uh, it's time now for some walking and uh, I remarkably start with the intention to speak for a little bit less and end up not so uh, it's actually quarter to nine it's something I at some point will probably give up on imagining is actually going to happen but I haven't got there yet um, so I think what I'll suggest is we have, if the bell ring, it could ring the bell at nine o'clock and we'll have the sitting at about five past nine or when you get here. And uh, please come along. It's a lovely time to sit together. Some time for walking now. Thank you.